Thank you for all of the time and effort you have put into this. They met weekly since Pastor Rick had announced that he was stepping down. They spent countless hours in prayer and meeting. Um, And we should just all be so grateful for all the effort that they put into this. Um, I want to say thank you to all of the other pastors, the incredible staff at this church. Um, This church is blessed with some of the most amazing pastors you will ever see anywhere. Um, We just love them and just looking forward to all that God is going to do in and through them as well. And I want to say thank you to all of you, um, this entire congregation. We know that these times of transition are never easy, right? These can be really difficult times. And yet I've been blown away by just the sense of unity that you feel at this church. Does anybody else just have this sense of just a unity of the spirit as the Lord leads us forward here? Now, I don't think I could adequately put into words what an honor it is to be standing here before you today. What an honor it is to be able to serve at this church. I can tell you with certainty that when I was a wee little lad climbing below the pews and running around this place, the thought of standing here in this position today would have never crossed my mind. So this is just a true honor. It's really, really, really special. And I am excited for what I believe the Lord plans and desires to bring this church into. I believe the greatest days for this church are in front of us, and there are promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the promises of God So let me start with a question here. How many people here have ever had somebody break a promise that they made to you? Don't look at your spouses right now. (laughs) Whatever you do, do not look at your spouses right now. Straight ahead. For all the husbands and wives that just did that quick look right there, marriage counseling, I guess, is what we'll need, but... Every single one of us, I suspect, at some point has had somebody make a promise to us and then they failed to keep it. Now, lest we get too judgmental, we probably need to remember that we've probably all been on the other side as well, where we've made promises to somebody and yet we ultimately didn't keep them. Right? For all the parents in the house here, I suspect we've all been in the situation. You're at the store, your child is melting down, and you're ready to just promise the world to them if it gets them to just stop and you get out of there. Right? So we've probably all been on the other side where we have failed to keep our promises as well. We've all been promised something by somebody at some point that probably completely fell through. We've probably all purchased something based on the promises of the manufacturer of this incredible thing that we are getting, and then we find that what it actually does for us doesn't quite meet those expectations. As seen on TV, should be all the warning you need to not purchase a product, right? There was actually a product called Talking Toilet Paper. I don't know what promises they made for that, but I don't even want to know, right? So we have all been let down at some point. We've all had promises that were broken. And because of this, I think we can get to a place where we become a little bit skeptical when a promise is made. Now, don't get me wrong. Being a little bit skeptical towards the world is probably a good thing. We live in the age of misinformation, right? It's not doing you any good if you're on Facebook and you share pictures of unicorns and you try to tell everybody that they're real. Right? we got to be wise with what we're doing. It's okay to be skeptical towards the world. It's not a bad thing. But the question becomes, 
has this same sort of skepticism creeped into our lives when it comes to the promises of God, the promises of his word. See, it's not that I think that most of us would say, well, I don't believe the promises of God. Sometimes I think we just have this nagging thought in our minds of, well, is that promise really for me? Can God really do that in my life? And maybe we just aren't always so sure that all of those promises are for us. Now, if you spend some time reading your Bible, and I hope we all have, you will see that we serve a God of promise. He is a God of promise. There are different estimates from scholars, but they have estimated that there are anywhere from 3,000 to 30,000 promises of God throughout Scripture. That's a whole lot of promises that we have from him. So from the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, you see that very first promise where God promises that he will send someone who will crush the head of the serpent, all the way through to the very end in the book of Revelation, where you see this indescribable promise of this new heaven and this new earth. We see God making promises in his word. The Bible is full of promises for his people. So if you have your Bibles today, if you can go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians, and we are going to start by looking at what the word says about the promises of God And we're going to break down what we need to do to see those things. I think we will have that up on the screen as well. I'm going to start with this one verse. It's 2 Corinthians 1.20. And it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So this is a really exciting verse. I did not say it was one of my favorite verses. What you will need to get used to is most Sundays I'm going to read a verse and then say this is one of my favorite verses. All right, because they're all my favorite verse. So I didn't do that today, but this is an exciting verse that teaches on the promises of God. And in this verse, what we see is that the promises of God will often contain three distinct components. It's the promises of God themselves, it's the yes, and it's the amen. And that is what we are going to dig into today. So let's start by looking at the promises of God themselves. The verse begins by declaring that God makes promises to his people. So there are promises throughout the word for you and I as individuals. There are promises for parents and children There are promises for husbands and wives. There are promises for us as the church. There are promises for our world, and on and on and on. And so we can begin by asking, what exactly is a promise of God? Well, a promise of God is one way that he reveals his intentions as creator for us as his creation. This is one way that God reveals his intentions to us, as he promises something in the Bible And he says, that is what I intend to do. It's one way he does that. So God's promises in the word reveal to us what is available to us and what we can actually experience. See, a promise of God is an invitation into a level of living that we might not yet have experienced, but God says is available. See, just because we haven't seen a promise fulfilled doesn't mean that we can't or that we won't. We know that God is a perfectly good God, 
Right? I think sometimes people get this picture of God and he's like that person who puts a $100 bill on the end of a fishing line and just constantly pulls it every time you go to reach for it. But God is a good God. If he gives us a promise in his word, it's not there to discourage us or make us feel frustrated. It's there to encourage us. It's there to take us and say, we need more than what we have today. There's something available that we've not yet seen that we need to walk in. There are some incredible promises of the word. And so we're going to take a little bit of time here. I just want to walk through a few of these just so we kind of get a flavor for this. See, our God, who is the God of promise, promises us in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from his love. He promises us in Hebrews 13, where he quotes from Deuteronomy that that he will never leave us or forsake us. In 2 Corinthians, that he will comfort us in difficult times. In James 1, that he will give us wisdom if we will humbly ask him for it. In Philippians 4, that he will provide for every one of our needs. In John 10, that his intentions for us are to give us an abundant life. In Isaiah 53, that by his wounds, we are healed. In Ephesians 5, that we as the church can be a glorious bride without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish. In Matthew 16, he promises that he will build his church and that he will use that church to destroy the very gates, the very strongholds of hell. In Numbers, Isaiah and Habakkuk, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. These are incredible promises. Notice that in all of these verses, there are promises for us, for individuals. There are promises for the church, and there are promises for the world. Now, with some of these, we may have experienced them. There may be things that we've experienced, and there may be things that we've not yet experienced, we've not yet seen, or maybe we've only experienced in part. But the promises of God are there. They're clear. The fundamental question we must begin with is, do we believe them? Do we believe them? And do we believe not just that God can, but that he will? That's a big distinction point we got to get down in the church because we will all believe, of course God can, but do we believe that he will? we got to believe that he will. See, the original attack of the enemy, you go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis. The original attack of the enemy was to get Adam and Eve to doubt what God said. It's what he wanted to do. He wanted to get in their heads and get them to doubt what God said. We know he came to Adam and Eve and he said to them, did God say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden? Did God say, are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure that's what God intends? And he tries the same approach today where he comes against people and he will try to cause people to doubt what God has said. Because if you doubt the promises, you'll never stand in faith to fully receive and walk in them. Belief is foundational. Belief is foundational. People say, well, what's the difference between belief and faith? Are they the same thing? And I don't believe they are. See, I believe it starts with belief at the bottom. It's we believe what God says. And then faith is when we put that belief in action. We actually believe God so much that we say it's going to change how we behave. It's going to change how we act. I'm going to take that promise of God and now I'm going to put it into action. See, there's a battlefield in our minds with an enemy who will try to get us to doubt what God has promised is available to us. Did God really say he'll provide for you? Did God really say that the church can make an impact in a world as dark as this? 
He aims to sow those seeds of doubt as to whether the promises of God are truly available or whether they are for us. But what we will see next, what we will see next in this verse is that we don't ever need to doubt a single promise of God because the promises are assured and they're available. You say, well, how can we be so sure? Well, let's look at the verse again. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, what's the next part? They are yes in Christ. In other words, God the Father says, I promise all of these things, and Jesus comes resoundingly and says, yes, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. So we saw the first of the three parts, right? We said there's three components to the promise of God. We have the promises themselves, and now we add the second component to that. It's the yes spoken by Christ. Every single promise of God is established through Christ. It's purchased by Christ makes it available to us. The yes to the promises of God has been spoken, it's been established, and it has been completely assured through Christ's death and his resurrection. See, we know this. The trustworthiness of a person determines the confidence that we have in the promises that they make, which should give us really great assurance because the promises have been made by God and Christ, the perfect one, has assured that the answer to those promises Our yes, our yes. Now that doesn't mean, right? That doesn't mean that every prayer request we bring to God, he is obliged to say yes, right? It does not mean that. And that's probably a really good thing because I'm sure someday when we get to heaven, we are gonna see all of these prayer requests that we made and we are like, God, why didn't you answer them? And he's gonna be like, well, because it wouldn't have been good for you, right? It wouldn't have been good for you. And so there's these promises that he makes and we say, well, God, I'm pressing in and we may not necessarily hear a yes. God may say no. He may say perhaps wait. So we don't necessarily have to just get a yes every time we pray. That's not what this verse is teaching. It also doesn't mean that every promise of God is fulfilled immediately. What the church really needs to recognize is we are in a battle. There is a real battle that is waging in this world for the souls of mankind. And we are in a battle with a real enemy who desires only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we may not see promises fulfilled right away because we may find ourselves in a battle with an enemy and we need to put on the armor of God and we need to do some warfare. Sometimes God may also be working things out for his greater timing. Right? So we may pray and God may not answer that yes right away. And it could be because he's got greater intentions and he's working it out in his timing. Now, this verse also doesn't necessarily mean that we will see the complete fulfillment of every promise of God in our lifetimes. Hebrews 11, we all know Hebrews 11, right? It's the faith chapter, the heroes of the faith. It's very common. Hebrews 11 talks about all of these heroes of faith just over and over again. It names someone and it says, by faith by faith, by faith, by faith, and then it lists the things that they were able to do. But what's really awesome is you get to the end of that verse, and it says, though they didn't always see the fulfillment of the promise of God in their lifetime, but yet we know that they still believed God at his word, and then they lived their lives in a manner that even if they did not see the promises of God fulfilled, their lives would bring it one step closer for a future generation. See, there may be promises that we see the fullness of in our lifetime. 
And there may be others that we help pave the way for future generations to receive. We got to play the long game here a little bit. I honestly think this is one of the biggest problems that the church has had today is we have been so short-focused, so short-focused, we haven't played the long game. We need to get out there and we need to recognize that we need to continually press on. And even if we don't see everything in our lifetime, we press it as far as we can and then we hand it to the next generation so that they can continue the race. We got to continue to press in. We got to believe. But either way, we recognize the yes given by Christ. And then we are called to live in a manner to see those promises fulfilled here on the earth. And that leads us directly into the third and final component of a promise of God. Look at the last part of the verse. It says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us. So we have the promises of God, the things that he promises that he wants to do. Then second, we have the assurance that Jesus says yes to those promises. And now third is that God's people, the church, we must speak our amen. This means we must come into agreement with what God has promised and what Christ has made available. We play a part in this. We play a vital part in the fulfillment of God's promises here on this earth. We are co-laborers. We are his ambassadors. We play a vital part in what God wants to do being fulfilled in this earth. See, this verse is not teaching that God makes all of these promises. Jesus says yes And then the church just sits around waiting for God to make it all happen. See, how many times have Christians looked at this world and we said, God, this world is so bad. Why don't you do something about it? And I suspect his answer from heaven is, I sent my son. I've given you the Holy Spirit. Why don't you also do something about it? See, I hope to preach on this sometime in the future, but there's a word in Christendom Is that a word, Christendom? I don't know. We'll just go with it. That is often used, I believe, improperly. Now, don't get worked up here. Stay with me. Stay with me. And that is the word revival. That is the word revival. See, many times I believe the church has used the word revival to mean, God, you just show up in power and you just draw all the people from our community here so they can be saved. In other words, when we say that, what we are saying is, God, you do on your own what you told us to partner with you to do. When we see revival as just God showing up and just drawing all the community in and just saving everybody without us having to do anything, we are violating what God has called us to do. Now, don't misunderstand me. We absolutely need revival in the sense that we need a fresh and constant outpouring of the Spirit. We should be desperately hungry for more of God. We should be desperate to press in for more than what we have ever seen before. But here's where I want to change the paradigm. Revival should never be seen as a temporary event. It should be seen as a lifestyle. If the Bible says that we are called to ever increase in glory, that we are called to go from glory to glory, that means our entire lives are to be revival. Our entire lives are to be pressing in for more than what we have ever seen before. We should never become complacent because there is always more that God wants to do. So we should cry out for a constant outpouring of the Spirit. We can call it revival. I'm fine with that. But it should be an outpouring of the Spirit 
with the motivation being for him to come purify, empower, and prepare us so that we can go do the work that God has called us to do. To prepare an army to go forth into this world to do his work. So we must speak the amen. It means we come into agreement with what God desires and we take action to walk in the promises of God through faith. I love the book of Daniel. Anybody else love the book of Daniel? I love the book of Daniel because in Daniel, you see this amazing study of how God's people can live pure and impactful lives even in the midst of a sinful culture. Come on, and that's the Old Testament. That's before the Holy Spirit is poured out on people. But in the book of Daniel, you see people, believers, that are living an impactful life for the kingdom, even in the midst of this sinful, terrible culture. So in the ninth chapter of Daniel, Daniel says that he was reading the scriptures, and it says that he understood that Israel's captivity would last 70 years. You may be familiar with it. But just to set the stage, at that time in Israel's history, the Babylonians had taken the Jews captive. They had resettled them. But God had promised that, he would ret- that they would return to the promised land after 70 years. And so Daniel in, his, in the word says, I read it. I understood that we would return and that the time was coming soon. Now notice this. Daniel doesn't go, oh, that's awesome. God says we're going to return to the promised land. I guess I'll just sit back and relax. He doesn't say, well, God promised it, so it's just got to be. If you would read it, you would see. It says that Daniel turned to God. He pleaded and prayed in petition in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel saw the promise of God, and he said, I will play my part to see it come to pass. In other words, Daniel spoke his amen. We are called to say our amen by coming into agreement with God's promises and then doing what he told us to do. Let's play out a quick example of this to just kind of bring it home a bit. So consider evangelism and reaching the unsaved. So you have Matthew 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here we see a command with a promise. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. As an aside, I will note that God doesn't tell us to do something that he is not both able and willing to do. And so if he tells his people to go make disciples of all nations, he is both willing and able to do it. So we have a promise that if we go, he will make disciples in all nations of the earth. We know we have a yes because Jesus, the one speaking these words, paid the price for humanity's salvation with his death and resurrection. And so lastly, we must say amen by actually going. And doing what God has told us to do. To be very practical, that could include things like prayer for your unsaved friends, your family, your neighbors. It could be prayer for our community with things like Adopt a Street. It could be inviting people to join you at church. And invite them many times, right? Most people won't go the first time, but if you just kind of stay on them, you just never know. It could be giving tithes and offerings to the church and to missions. It could be building relationships with people who don't know Christ, where you're intentionally building a relationship with them and asking God for opportunities to witness to them. It could include things like taking a risk when you're out and about at the store and God just highlights that one person to you and you feel like you just need to go say something to them. 
It could include partnering with others at, the, at this church as his body to see this community changed for him. There are many ways we can go, but the point is we must go. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, put it very, very simply. He said, church, do something. Church, do something. Do something. We must do something. We must play our part. Because if we don't, if the church doesn't actively go, then what we have is we have the promise of God, we have the yes in Christ, but we are missing the amen to see it fulfilled. And I believe there are incredible promises that God has for our world that are simply waiting for the church to rise up and say, amen, we will go, we will do what you called us to do. I believe there's some amazing things that God desires to do. And they can be seen through any church that's willing to believe God and his promises and to speak their amen. Um, if the worship team wants to come this morning, keeping it a little bit briefer today, make everybody happy. I want to bring it a little bit closer to home now, to this church. Because through the Holy Spirit, God takes the promises of the word and then he speaks promises for our lives and for the church. Now, just to be clear, we always remember that any personal dream, any prophetic word the Lord gives us is not held at the same authority of scripture, but rather we judge that word, we judge that prophecy, we judge that dream by scripture and the internal testimony of the spirit, right? We got to remember that. We always remember that. Remember that as we talk about everything we're going forward here with. That is important. We want to set that foundation very securely here so that we are prepared to receive these things. So the Bible says, don't despise prophecies, but test them. So what that is telling us is first, that prophecy and spiritual gifts should absolutely be operating in the church and we should desire to see them. Come on, church. I, I've just seen this thing here lately where it seems like people refer to Pentecostalism and they refer to, oh, those are the ones that clap their hands and they get excited during worship. That should be true. There's nothing wrong with getting really excited during worship. But if we have watered down Pentecostalism to simply clapping our hands and being excited during worship, then we've missed the whole point of it. It's about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's about signs, wonders, and miracles being done in and through the church. You want to change a community? Walk in the supernatural power of God and you will see it changed. So we should desire spiritual gifts. We should desire the outpouring of the Spirit. But we always make sure any words that are given, any prophecy, any dream that God gives us, we test it against the standard of his word. So in consideration of that, I want to share a couple of promises that I believe God has placed in my heart for this church. And then a couple of personal promises I believe the Lord has spoken to me that I believe have led to me standing here before you today. So in 2019, during Pastor Rick's sabbatical, Sarah and I were still living in Allentown. We were in the very early stages of sort of processing that, hey, I think God's calling us back to Littlestown. But we had the opportunity to come here and I got to guest speak on a Sunday. And I finished by having everybody come forward. And in that moment, as I looked out over the congregation, I believe the Lord spoke into my heart that the greatest days of this church did not lie in the past, but they lied ahead. And that the latter days would outshine even the greatness of the former ones. Now, before I go any further, I want to take a moment just to say how grateful I am for Pastor Rick and Robin. 
to me personally and my family and for this church, for all that they did for nine years to lead this church. They have done the Lord's work faithfully. They have helped to set a foundation for all that is to come. And I told Pastor Rick this, I said, every future victory of this church is a victory of yours as well. And the Lord has continued to speak this message into my heart. I can't get out in my mind that the greatest days are coming, that the greatest days are coming, that there's more that he wants to do. Last August on a Wednesday night in the youth service during worship, I was walking back and forth and pacing and just having this conversation with the Lord. And I believe the Lord spoke into my heart, there is coming a day, there's coming a day when Bethel is going to need all of the space that this facility has. I don't know what that looks like, but all I can say is stand there and say, Lord Jesus, fill this place to overflowing. Let every classroom be filled with people seeking after you. Let every classroom be filled with people encountering you. Let this place be filled with people being impacted for the kingdom. And I went back and forth initially on sharing some of these last ones because they're really personal, but I believe it shows God's hand at work. And so I feel like I should share them with you. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I had recently come back to the Lord here at Bethel. And one Sunday morning, Pastor Ruddy was preaching and he spoke of how Bethel was gonna continue long into the future and that there would need to be Joshua's who would successfully lead this, successively lead this church forward. And in that moment, I believe the Lord spoke into my heart, you are a Joshua. I didn't know what it meant. I was a new believer. I had just come back to him, but I knew at that moment that God was calling me into ministry. Where was my initial call to ministry? I think it was right there. And he continued to speak other times, but I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what God was gonna do with it. And so I stored that thing in my heart and I've actually never told a single person that for 20 years until I met with the board during interviews. On January 29th of this year, before I knew Pastor Rick was planning on anything, I believe the Lord renewed that word he had placed in my heart 20 years ago. And during worship one morning on 29th, he spoke into my heart, Pastor Rick has been a Moses who has faithfully led this church, but I was to be a Joshua to lead into the next season. So I scribbled that down on an envelope and my mind was blown because when evangelist Jessica Bryan came in April to speak, she spoke over Pastor Rick almost the exact same words I had written on that envelope about him being a Moses. And since I've been here, I've had so many of you, you've come to me and you've shared with me a dream that the Lord has given you for this place. You've shared with me a word about what the Lord wants to do here, a prophecy that he's placed on your heart for this church. Things that are not yet fulfilled, but shown to you by God. And I can tell you, I believe now more than ever that the greatest days of this church truly lie ahead if we will be a believing, unified body who are willing to say our amen and to do the work that Christ has called us to do. If we will be a body of believers who say we are not satisfied with yesterday's manna, we are not satisfied to hear stories of the past, we are not satisfied to read about miracles of old, but we say do it here right now in our day, Lord, and we will pay the price. 
this morning, we honor all of those who have come before us, who have brought us to this place. We honor them for the price that they have paid. And we honor them even as we prepare to go forward to take our promised land. And what's amazing is if we will say our amen to these things, something amazing comes of it all. God receives the glory. Look at the last part of that verse. It says, the amen is spoken by us to what? To the glory of God. To the glory of God. See, we aren't aiming to make a name for ourselves or Bethel. We aren't aiming to make a name for ourselves or Bethel. I am perfectly content in my life to lift up the name of Jesus as much as I can and then die and be completely forgotten. I'm perfectly fine with that as long as the name of Jesus has been glorified and lifted high. We are not here to make a name for ourselves. We are here to make the name of Jesus famous. We are here to give ourselves to the work of Christ so that God can receive the glory, so that the name of Jesus is exalted. See, a church that doesn't walk in the promises of God, not only did they miss out, the world misses out, and then God doesn't receive the glory he is due. See, when a promise of God is fulfilled, it brings glory and praise to his name. Think about when God supernaturally restores a marriage or he brings a financial breakthrough to someone. Think about when a sinner becomes a saint. All of those things point people to our amazing God and he receives all of the glory. Now, don't get me wrong. You can bring glory to God with how you react during the difficult times of life when you are contending and waiting for the promise. There've been people that have gone through difficult times and they choose Jesus and they bring glory to his name with how they respond, even though they've yet to receive that promise. But man, when that promise comes, it brings incredible glory to the name of Jesus. That's what we wanna be about here. We wanna bring glory to God. And I believe there are amazing promises that God wants to fill and fulfill in this body that will bring great glory to his name. And so Bethel, I love you. I love you and I humbly stand here before you this morning. And if you believe this is the will of God for this church, I am prepared to give everything that I can to serve this church in this community, believing that we will see the promises of God from his word and those prophesied over this church fulfilled believing that we will see God move in power. We will see our community impacted and forever changed with the gospel and that the Lord will receive the glory that he is still. If you wanna go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.